listening to Best Served Cold, a Born Millennials podcast. The Australian true crime podcast where we drink wine and talk about crime. Formerly Egypt's 36th most popular true crime podcast, hosted by Tama J and Laura Lease. Sit down, relax, grab a drink and enjoy this week's episode. Yippee! Yippee Kai, yay! It's another well, week. It is another week. It's, it's another episode. I was trying to think of a rhyme, like yippee ki yay, it's Wednesday. Hey, hey, nice. Very nice. And How's it going, right on guys? cue, the cats are going crazy. Crackhead crazy, yeah. Crackhead crazy. Like legit, we just press record and then... <laughs> it's yeah, like they know. It is. Anyway, welcome to another week of Best Served Cold, the true crime podcast where we drink wine and talk about crime. I'm one of your... Incredible co-host Laura Elise, and welcome to Watch Mojo. <laughs> and I'm your other co-host Tamator. Um, if you rub me three times, I won't grant you any wishes. I'll just tell you to please stop touching me. <laughs> That's so specific. Um, yeah, welcome. welcome. Welcome back to the show. The the voted best show of 2022 um, because sure. it's been a terrible year. And I feel like that's aptly aptly put. Yeah, sure. Why not? You know? Uh, but if you are new around here, we do a quick housekeeping at the start before we're going to launch into it. So if you would like to give us a follow on all things social media, yes. you can check us out at the BSC podcast on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We are also on YouTube, which I keep forgetting to mention. Uh, yes. Uh, all our episodes, if you are a YouTube listener... All our episodes are now also available on our YouTube channel, so you can find that. And we also do like to give a little exclaimer, exclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer at the start of every episode. You can exclaim it if you, you want. You can. To. I can exclaim it. That we like to uh, say cuss words a fair amount in this show. Mm-hmm. So if you are someone who does not like the swears, we yep. would kindly request that you exit through the gift shop. Feel free to pick up a souvenir, mm-hmm. and please don't leave us a one star review on anything. No, and uh, if you do like the show and you're not uh, offended or upset by cuss words, then please, please give us a, a good review. Give us a good review. Yeah, if you like the episode, please we would do. Love that. It'd be fantastic. It would give us. The much-needed uh, self-esteem boost that we need to keep our keep us going through the day. Yeah, please help us. Yeah, we're very we're very um, we need those. We're sad. Yeah, we're sad. We're very vain people. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Tama, hi. It is your turn. It is to my go turn. first this week. So this week I will be talking about a woman called Patricia Curran who. Often went by the name of Trish, so I just will be referring to her as Trish because that's kind of a name. She uh, lived predominantly in New York, um, in the upstate sort of area, not the actual city, just the state. So, you know, those kind of like nice little rural areas up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the 90s, Trish was working as a nurse looking after her two daughters as a single mother. And in 1996, to better support her and her children, she got a job working in the drive through at a Dunkin' Donuts. So being a you know customer-facing job, she met a lot of people within the area and would get a lot of regulars coming by every now and then. Everyone likes donuts. Everyone likes drive through donuts. donuts. I wish that was a more of a thing here. Maybe but we should go get donuts after we finish recording. Let's do it. Uh, so one of whom of the many regulars that would often come by was a man named Clifford Burns. So he eventually, one day after the many times of him driving through to get a donut, asked Trish out on a date. 
Now, Clifford ran his own business. He was a professional tree climber, which I believe mm. is like... Wait, like tree lopper or tree... Like a climber. Like I believe he climbs trees and like tears them down. So a lopper, like a tree lopper. Yeah, I guess so. Okay. Because if he just gets paid to climb trees, that's no. I don't think he just gets paid to climb trees. I don't think that's a job. Sorry, continue. That would be a great job. It would be an amazing job. Yeah, I just that's why I wanted to clarify. So sorry, continue. That's okay. So Trish to Trish Clifford seemed like a very smart, outgoing person with the determination to run his own business and to get his shit together. So soon enough, uh, she developed feelings for him, and as as did he. And so in 1997, a year later, the two would get married. Now, along uh, with her daughters, um, Megan and Crystalline, they moved in together all as one big family. And soon enough, Clifford and um, Trish would have two daughters of their own called Harley and Autumn. They were living in Niskayuna and unfortunately their happy family would become anything but... Just a note here too, and this is going to come into play much later into the story and just okay. sort of keep it in mind. Clifford had been in jail from 1994 to 1996, serving two, year, two and a half years for breaking into his ex-girlfriend's property. Okay, noted. Shortly after being released is when he met Trish. So just keep that in mind. Okay. Clifford proved himself to be a abusive and unempathetic person. He... A lot of this can be drawn to and attributed to his childhood. And again, we say this all the time, not to excuse what they might do, but more so to sort of get a better understanding of where their mentality is yeah, um, and where their trauma lies. So growing up, Clifford's father was frequently violent to his mother and often to Clifford himself. In 1981, Clifford's father father James shot Clifford's mother Edith in the chest following an argument the two were having. Edith survived the shooting and would threaten uh, and Clifford's father would threaten her again afterwards with a loaded gun. Jeez. So then in 1984 James was given divorce papers issued by Edith and instead of signing these papers James decided to kidnap Edith resulting in him being chased by police. Eventually, he was stopped and cornered where he shot an officer before turning the gun on himself and in his own life. Yeah. Jeez. Okay. So, due to these circumstances growing up, uh, Clifford never really got the help he needed, no therapy, no one really to help him through the trauma of having not just an abusive father, but someone who assaulted him, assaulted his mother, kidnapped his mother and shot himself in the head. Unfortunately, this trauma would carry on into his adult years and over the years became increasingly more violent with Trish. Whenever Clifford would be physically violent with Trish, she would eventually leave him and come back later on. This was a very often recurrence. Trish apparently was the kind of person to see the best in everybody and undoubtedly wanted to try and, quote, fix Clifford and make things work. And Clifford was a very manipulative person, knew exactly the kind of strings to play, the, mm. the sad puppy play, um, knew just how to sort of finagle himself back into the relationship. So the day after Christmas in 2010, the family were having a relatively quiet Christmas after Trish and the daughter, Crystalline, came down with a stomach bug. In the evening, Crystalline went to her room to go to sleep for the night. And every now and then, her half-sister, Harley, would want to come and sleep around bed too. And on this occasion, she let her 
as well. So while sleeping, Harley noticed that Crystalline was breathing kind of weirdly. So she went to go get Crystalline a glass of water and left it um, in her room before she returned back to her own room to go to bed. In the morning, Trish was off at work and Clifford went to check up on Crystalline. When he found her in her room, he noticed that she was lying down in her bed with her eyes open completely still. Clifford called 911 and four minutes later, the, the uh, paramedics arrived and attempted to res resuscitate Crystalline. However, they were unsuccessful and she was only 15 years old at the time of her death. Now, both autopsy and toxicology reports, they could find nothing wrong with Crystalline. There was officially on a death certificate, no cause of death. They just couldn't figure out what happened. Right. So... Uh, on top of this being not just a, a case I'm covering, there's a small little sort of conspiracy theory in there. I mean, put all your theories out there if you have any, but mm. you know, it's kind of it's it's um, those instances of like just there's nothing you can really attribute to it. Maybe the stomach bug, maybe, maybe you know, it's hard to say. Um, anyway, with the death of her daughter, something lit up in Trish and caused her to want to double down and protect her remaining daughters. So she issued a five-year restraining order against Clifford and moved into an apartment in Lake Luzerne. She took all her daughters with her, with only Harley staying behind with her father as she didn't want to have to change schools and make new friends. This was the young daughter that slept and wanted to sleep in Crystalline's yeah. room, the younger sister. Now, without a family and a wife for him to abuse physically, mentally, Clifford unfortunately turned his anger and violence onto his daughter, Harley. And after just a few months of living with this abuse, Harley eventually moved in with her mother to escape Clifford. Now, things were looking up for Trish. All her daughters were safe with her, home with her, and she was offered a job at the local hospice, which was something she was really aiming for. And it was a, a good paying job, um, something stable. And eventually she met and started a, a relationship with a local man, Ted Backus. Unfortunately for Trish, Ted was just as abusive as Clifford. On one occasion, Ted had slapped Trish following an argument before Ted fired a gun into the ceiling to which police were called to the building. Ted was charged with one count of discharging a firearm, putting him on probation, ordered not to see Trish for the next three years. Needless to say, Trish and her daughters had been fucking through it. And at this stage in her life, she was just trying to focus on her career and her daughters and just try to get some semblance of norm normalcy back into her life while the divorce with Clifford was being finalized. Now, a few days before Christmas of 2013, Autumn and Harley, who are the um, full daughters of both Clifford and Trish, uh, hadn't heard from their father in over eight months. So Autumn sent her father a Merry Christmas text saying, I just wanted to tell you that I love you and Merry Christmas. The message she got back from her father was far from what she was expecting. He replied with, I have a special gift coming soon, something for everyone to talk about, and it will be hand-delivered on foot, not by car. A very special gift for all your friends to see, especially Harley. I don't like where this is That going. is chilling, especially Harley, which is Autumn's full sister. Autumn obviously is like, okay, what the actual fuck? Uh, unsure of what exactly to make of it, she tells her mother about the text who reassures her that while her father is a mean and evil man, he's not going to hurt her or her sisters. It's, you know, he's not that bad. 
So Autumn sent a few more texts to her father telling him to basically just get his shit together and work through his emotions. Uh, the day before Christmas, Trish and her girls were getting ready for Christmas. Harley was out getting groceries while Megan and Autumn were home helping their mum with dinner. While they were preparing dinner, they heard a loud knock at the door before they could even approach the door. It came crashing down. A man wearing full camo and a ski mask wielding a large hunting knife within seconds moved through the door frame. The masked man moved towards Trish and immediately lunged at her and repeatedly stabbed her over and over again. During the, dr- the struggle, Megan tried to separate the man from her mother but was unsuccessful, so instead she tried swiping and scratching at his face. During the struggle, she had actually unmasked the man and underneath was Clifford. Upon seeing his face, both Trish and Megan pleaded with Clifford to stop. However, he didn't and even started attacking Megan, causing a large laceration on her arm. Autumn, who saw everything, immediately calls 911. And I've heard the call, um, there's, you know, obviously released footage mm. of it just to sort of demonstrate for later subsequent trials. It's fucking heartbreaking. Yeah, I can She's imagine. completely in panic, pleading with the operator to um, get someone to help, saying, she says in the call that her father has just attacked her mum with a knife and that she's now dying. Jesus. So Megan runs out of the house to try and get help and following closely behind her is Clifford. She, while she's running away, falls into a snowbank, completely trapping her. Moments away from Clifford trying to actually attack her. However, in that moment, a few customers from a nearby restaurant who obviously heard the noise and commotion are Mm. rushing over. And upon seeing this, Clifford rushes into his car and drives away. So Megan narrowly escapes being attacked herself. Paramedics and police swarm into the property. And now, as this was a small town, police knew Clifford very well. Um, Being a small town and also being an abuser, um, I'm sure he would have been caused to the house quite a bit. So they eventually track him down and a chase ensues. This chase lasts for about half an hour before Clifford eventually surrenders and was arrested by police. Now, what brings a lot of attention to this case in particular is one of my favorite channels and uh, a best served cold favorite is the psychology, criminal psychology channel, JCS, Yes. Um, where they upload a lot of videos sharing interrogation footage. And one such footage was after Clifford was detained the night of murdering his wife. So it, it's fucking wild. It's clear to see that he's just mentally snapped he's incredibly unstable he talks about how the divorce has cost him everything he owns his house his business he hasn't eaten in two days Um, had to pay out the ass for lawyers he says something at the start of the the interrogation like the lawyer told him was going back to jail for a violation of the um uh, the condition of the um the Parole? No, um, the fuck the the thing that I mentioned just before the five year. Um, this this has never happened before. Um, Are you at a complete loss for words? I am. At, I'm at a complete loss for words. Um, to to keep him away from Trish. Restraining. Restraining order. order that's it. Wow, that was so interesting and exactly what you want for a podcast. Yeah, keep going, keep um, going. Anyway, People yeah, won't yeah, notice. Yeah. Roll the punches. All right. Um, 
so in a violation of the condition of that. I couldn't even begin to explain all of what the interrogation contains or even break it down. That's You should just watch the JCS video because they do a full breakdown of the entire thing and it's fascinating. But so while this interrogation is happening, Trish, unfortunately, on their way to the hospital had lost too much blood and she dies in on the way to the hospital. The police inform Clifford while he's ranting and for a few minutes he just sort of sits there sobbing until eventually he kicks right back into his rants. Now, I can sort of sum up for it in a general sense. He shifts between different personas all while he blames Trish, Ted, uh, the police, the attorneys for everything that went wrong in his life and subsequently happened. Uh, Megan was eventually treated for the laceration on her arm. She made a full recovery, though I can't begin to imagine what mental scars that would have oh, left Oh, yeah, that with. doesn't that won't leave you. Yeah. Um, the interrogation is interesting because he kind of, like, bounces back and forth between uh, feeling sorry for himself, weeping about the loss of his job, the, the death of his wife, and then he kind of goes into this Rambo kind of mode where he's, like, screaming at the police, smashing the desk, saying, you would have loved to have me in Iraq. Jesus. That kind of shit. Like, real, really goes back and forth between bravado and, like, you know, subvertism. Like, it's really interesting. Uh, so, Clifford Burns was charged with one count of second-degree murder, and he was sent to Warren, Warren County Jail without bail. On the 8th of January, Clifford pleaded, unsurprisingly, not guilty of the murder of Patricia. Following this court appearance, he was also given additional charges of first-degree manslaughter, first-degree assault, and third-degree criminal possession of a weapon, as well as a misdemeanor for fleeing a police officer. Later in April 2014, he pleaded guilty to the charges. However, just before the trial, he retracted this plea, citing poor handling of the case during a time when he was emotionally unstable. So really just, you know, Piece adding, of shit. yeah, terrible person. Clifford attempted to claim psychiatric defense, stating that he was under a significant amount of stress and didn't go to the house with the intent of murdering his wife in front of his daughters. However, this was brought into question as when police investigated Clifford's residence, they found a newly written will dated on the 24th of December, the same night he murdered Patricia, giving all of his possessions to his three daughters. Also, you went in with a ski mask. Yes, like, uh, and, that, and that also factored in against yeah. that defense. The the statements from his daughters as well, uh, obviously being there and witnessing him, uh, telling him to stop and he just did not stop. Mm. All of that eventually piled up and on the 5th of September 2014, Clifford Burns was found guilty for second-degree murder and was given 23 years to life with the possibility of parole in December 2036. Clifford was also permanently barred from contacting any of his daughters ever again. Good. And there's been uh, interviews with the daughters as well. Like, it's just, you know, so horrible. terrible. Horrible. To, to not only have to sort of witness abuse your entire life, but to lose, tragically, one of your sisters in, like, just a freak occurrence. Yeah. Um, that's horrible. Yeah, just so bad. Uh, now that where this sort of like case gets its sort of notoriety, not only from just the the actual murder itself and the story behind the people, but the interrogation footage is just bizarre. Full on. Yeah, it's very full on. You kind of get this um real sense of like he's just completely snapped 
you know, like we don't i don't see um you know like how we did with like the the last case where like you can sort of see like this person's just a psychopath from mm. the get-go like i don't necessarily see something like that i see more so like i don't know, like a gradual decline in like mental stability yeah that leads to just this like seeing red right instance and then like fully went there knowing what he was going to do yeah but i don't think he went his entire life thinking oh, i would love to kill people yeah, no, I can see you that. But I, mean? I think yeah. that's the same way with all of those, like, um, I don't know if there's a proper term for them. Um, matricide, you kill a matriarch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like, I don't necessarily think that those people had circumstances maybe not been different. They wouldn't have turned into murderers. I don't know. Like, It's hard to say. Yeah. You know, it's hard to say that if he maybe had gotten, you know, psychiatric help, um, when he was going through all that with his parents, maybe psychiatric help while he was going through the divorce, something like that, you know? And this whole situation is what kind of freaks me out about the whole Kanye West, Kim Kardashian thing. Oh, yeah. Like, that people seem to think it's funny to laugh at how he's acting. And I'm like, you do realize that this is what it looks like in the lead up to someone murdering their yeah, ex-wife. Yeah, it just happens to be like a very like publicized version of it. And you would hope that because of who she is, like she'll be physically safe enough to not be harmed, like he not yeah. be harmed by him. But it kind of like also sheds a lot of light on like when women who are victims of like domestic abuse and people are like, why didn't you just leave? And it's like, this is why, like yeah. if someone as rich and powerful as Kim Kardashian is still able to be, um, like pestered and continually like, how do you think someone with a normal life is going to get away with that? And it's like, it's only escalating too. like, yeah, he's like gone out and like messaged Pete Davidson. Yeah. And they're having like fights and they're like shit, like Twitter beefing and shit. And people just think it's funny. Yeah. It's actually, it's it's really kind of fucked up. Yeah. Like really kind of fucked up. But that, that's, that's, that's like a very publicized instance Mm. of like, what it is like. Yeah. It just happens to like go unnoticed in the public eye. Like mm. what are these, you know, that's, and that's the thing. Yeah. It's just, it's very fucking traumatic for people. Scary. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. All right. Um, that was my case. We are going to take a short little break. And, and we'll be back. We'll be back. We're back. We are back we and are back. raring to go. Yes. Okay, what so my turn. So this week I am going to be talking about Harold Shipman, aka, and I, just to clarify, Ship. Yeah, I was going to say Shipman. Shipman. Okay, Shipman. I do P. feel like the Australian accent does sometimes. It brushes over T's really easily. And P's. Yeah, so they sound very similar. So it's just to clarify, it's, if it sounds like I'm saying Shipman, I'm saying Shipman. Ship. But it's uh, it takes too long to enunciate it that well, so just bear with me. So Harold Shipman or Dr. Death or the Angel of Death. 
And he is known as one of, if not the most prolific serial killer in Britain's history. So a little bit of backstory. There's not a huge amount to cover off. Harold Harold Frederick Shipman. Wow, that's a really... That's a mouthful to say. Harold Frederick Shipman was born on the 14th of January 1946 in Nottingham to parents Harold and Vera. From what I can see, he had a pretty normal childhood. He was incredibly bright. He excelled at school and he was also a talented rugby player or football for our American listeners. Yeah. Um, As well as a talented marathon slash distance runner. It wasn't up until he was 17 when his mother was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer that things kind of took a turn for him. So Harold was incredibly close with his mother and he took her illness very hard, often sort of sitting by her bedside while the doctors administered her morphine to help sort of take the pain off and ease her into passing. After his mother's death, Shipman met and married Primrose Oxtoby while he studied medicine at Leeds University Medical School. They had four children together and from the outside, his life appears entirely boringly normal. He graduates in 1970 and commences life as a junior doctor, getting his first job as a general practitioner in 1974. In 1975, Shipman is caught forging prescriptions for Demerol, uh, which is a moderate pain relief drug and originally he'd been using it for his own pain but had quickly become addicted as do many people who use heavy opioids so he's fined 600 pounds fired from his position at that practition um but he kind of like he's sent to a rehab facility but he pretty quickly finds his feet again and he returns to work at a place called donnybrook medical center in hyde or in a a city called Hyde in 1977. So he would spend the next 15 years of his career here before setting up his own practice in 1993. By this stage in the late 70s, he's built a very good reputation for himself as a trusted doctor as well as a valuable member of his community. He was a um, renowned doctor and very well known for his excellent bedside manner. So if you don't know what bedside manner is, it's basically just like how you talk to your patients. Right. So in 1983, for instance, he appears on a local TV series doing a guest spot talking about the treatment of mentally ill patients. So he's just kind of like very well respected, very well known in quite a kind of moderately sized town, I would say. Now, Shipman is not like how we traditionally view serial killers. He would never use a knife or a gun or any particularly sort of hands-on methods of killing instead shipman would give his patients lethal doses of a drug called diamorphine which is essentially heroin um, which is another form of opioid and either give them a large enough dose to kill them right in his surgery or send them home to die later it was march 1975 when shipman kills his first victim 70 year old eva lyons it was the day before her birthday By this time, Shipman had got his hands on enough diamorphine to kill hundreds of people through, again, forging fake prescriptions. Uh, Though Shipman was fired that year for forging prescriptions before, he was not removed from the General Medical Council, the doctor's regulatory body. So he's like given a bit of a slap on the wrist and then kind of told to go on his way. Don't do it again. So Shipman was said to have stopped and started his murders across the span of many years, but despite the passage of time, his method would always remain the same. He would target the vulnerable with his oldest victim being 93-year-old Ann Cooper and his youngest 41-year-old Peter Lewis. 
In all, it's believed that he killed 71 patients while working at his first practice and the remainder while operating his own practice. Of his victims, 171 were female and 44 were men. Wow. In 1998, other doctors and those who worked in the funeral profession, such as the coroners and the undertakers within the community where he lived and worked, became suspicious of the ridiculously large number of his patients who were dying. The neighbouring medical practice further discovered that the death rates of his patients were almost 10 times higher than their own, which when you're talking about people dying, like so for every 10 people they killed, he killed 100. That's that. That's too much. Insane, that's right? That's insane. So Linda Reynolds, who worked in another surgery across the road from Shipman's practice, was particularly concerned about the large number of cremation forms for elderly women that she needed countersigned. So I guess you would need witness or counter signatures from another doctor. So being across the road from each other, they would just like trot over and be like, right. hey, I need this signed by another doctor. Can yeah. you sign it? So they did report their concerns to the local coroner and the police were called and that could have particularly been the end of it but it wasn't because like so many stories we talk about on the show the police fucked it up Uh and failed to carry out some of the most basic checks including checking whether he had a criminal record they never bothered to check with the doctor's regulatory board whether he'd ever received any sort of punishment for wrongdoings and so they never uncovered his past history of forging prescriptions for the very drug that they would have found in his victim's system yeah we love that So Shipman also covered his tracks by adding false illnesses to his victims' records, meaning that when they did pass away, no one really looked too close into it and no sort of formal autopsies were done because they were like, oh, yeah, she had heart issues and she died from heart failure. And people were like, yeah, that adds up. So as a result, the investigation didn't find any cause for concern and Shipman continued on killing. However, despite the fact that he is an obvious psychopath and killed a lot of people. It was actually his greed that eventually gets the better of him. So in 1998, when 81-year-old rather Kathleen Grundy, who happened to be a former mayor of the very town that he was operating in, passed away, suddenly her daughter becomes suspicious. Kathleen's death is marked as old age, with her death certificate being signed by Harold Shipman, who was also the last person to have seen her alive. Having known her mother's wishes to be buried, she found it odd that a will poorly written on a typewriter marked cremation as her form of passing and left her entire family out of her will, instead giving all her worldly possessions to the family doctor, Harold Shipman, to the tune of just over £300,000. Yeah, you fucked up, man. So luckily, because of what I imagine must have been an error... Kathleen wasn't cremated and she was buried. And when her daughter Angela was informed of this strange will, she immediately calls the police. Angela said, The whole thing was unbelievable. The thought of mum signing the document, leaving everything to her doctor, was inconceivable. The concept of her signing a document which was so badly typed didn't make any sense. So Kathleen's body was subsequently exhumed in August of 1998 and diamorphine was found in her muscle tissues. Harold Chipman was arrested on September 7th, of that same year, 1998. So Shipman tried to claim that Kathleen had a previously noted history of addiction and he refers to the notes on his computer, like his electronic medical journal. Right. But in, and I mean this in no offense to anyone that listens to this that is an older generation, but this is like the most typical 
older gen doesn't understand boom, technology thing. Moment. He didn't realize that the entries when he put them in were marked with dates. And so authorities can quickly see that any mentions of Kathleen's alleged drug addiction were added to her file after she'd already died. Oh, what a fucking idiot. So. Oh, my God. You fucked up. It Always. Was, it was also quickly discovered that Harold Shipman owned a brother typewriter and it appeared to be the one that Kathleen's bodgy will had been written on. Of course. Over the next two months, the bodies of another 11 victims are exhumed. A police expert also checks Shipman's surgery computer and discovers again that he's made false entries to support the fake causes of death that he gave on his other victims' death certificates. Because don't forget, as a doctor, he could also just sign away the death certificate. Yeah. So it was kind of like the perfect crime. So police managed to verify 14 other cases where Shipman had given lethal do doses of diamorphine, falsely registered the patient's death and tampered with their medical history to show that they were dying anyway. Harold Shipman always denied the rumors of uh, the rumors, the murders and refused to co cooperate with the police or criminal psychiatrists. When questioned or shown photos of his victims, he sat with his eyes shut, yawned and refused to look at any evidence or photos. Police, because a lot of the victims had been cremated, could only charge Shipman with 15 murders. The 15 victims he was successfully charged with were Marie West, Irene Turner, Lizzie Adams, Jean Lilly, Ivy Lomas, Muriel Grimshaw, Marie Quinn, Kathleen Wagstaff, Bianca Pomfret, Nora Nuttall, Pamela Hillier, Maureen Ward, Winifred Mellor, Joan Melia, and Kathleen Grundy. But it is estimated that his kill count is anywhere between 250 and 450. That's insane. Which and, is... And you don't know because it's because of the cremations and... False you would never documents. know yeah. because some of his patients, likely being elderly, did probably just genuinely pass away. Yeah. But you're never going to know. And in a career that spanned, I think it was like 22 years, like how are you going to know? That's Think about how many patients a small town doctor sees on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah. And week in, week out for like 20 years. And like you said, like a lot of them – who just died how many of those that just died really just died well yeah everyone dies eventually theoretically like, you could have poisoned could administer it to all of them yeah in theory um the other thing that came up is that after uh, sorry when the concern was first raised one of the local taxi drivers was like yeah actually i seem to take a lot of his patients to the hospital and then they die it's weird <laughs> Like he would get called by Harold Shipman to his practice to be like, you need to take my um, patient to the hospital. And then right. he, this guy, Tony Shaw, would take the people to the hospital people yeah. to the hospital, and then they die. And he was like, it's really weird. He does it all the time. Jesus. Oh, dear. So in uh, the year 2000, Harold Shipman was given life in prison with a recommendation that he never be re released. Wow, I'm really struggling with words today. Uh, after just six days of jury deliberation, which after doing jury duty and being in two weeks of deliberation for blessing. something small, yeah. six days for 14 murders That's, is like yeah. quick. That's quick. 
So on the day before his 58th birthday, on January 13th, 2004, Harold Chipman was found hanging in his cell, having taken his own life. He told his probation officer prior to this that he was thinking about committing suicide so that his wife could receive his pension in a lump sum. But uh, yeah, that is the story of Harold Chipman. And there are a number of theories as to why he did what he did, ranging from... It was uh, like sort of PTSD from watching his mother pass away. It was like revenge for his mother having passed away. Um, a lot of people think that maybe he genuinely thought that these elderly people were going to pass and didn't want them to suffer the way he thought his mum suffered. Mm. So he thought he was like giving them like a compassionate way out. Like I'm just going to like yeet you now. So you don't have to like Suffer. get some terrible illness. And then other people are like, no, it was just a sociopath with a God complex and just needed to Yeah, I don't know. Take I, I lives. don't necessarily believe that. I feel like it's it, it's a hundred percent got to be linked to his mother. Like I feel yeah. like watching, you know, it's one thing to have a loved one close to you pass. It's another thing to like be at their bedside as the doctor is like giving them the drug that makes them like slip away. Well, you're at a young age, as yeah, well. and you're and and just your mother and you're watching them suffer and like you know, especially with cancer and you know I had a, a family member pass away from cancer and the, there's that whole period where it's like just pain. Yeah. You know, and like you have to administer morphine to sort of relieve that pain. And that person isn't really that same person when they're on those medications. So that's a huge factor into probably why he did it. Like, you probably had to watch his mother not only yeah. suffer, but completely change. And probably had these elderly people coming on, or people who had significant health issues and wanted to not have to see them go through that same thing mm. not as to be like oh you did a good thing like you know, it's a terrible fucking thing to do but like yeah but it's not i think a lot of the time when we talk about these people it's not that we're trying to justify their actions it's kind of like i feel like there's a difference between explaining why someone yeah. does what they does yeah and justifying why because i, I they hate do. the idea of just writing something off as like that person's psycho that person's bad that person's evil it's like well how did we get to this point yeah how did we get to this and what were they thinking and what was their intention? Well, that's why we're here. That's to the, talk about it. That's the interesting part of these cases, and that's where you know over the years, people in police and criminal investigation units have found ways to hopefully prevent mm. things like this from happening ever again. I'm sure, like things were placed with hospital institutions to prevent this from happening ever again. Um, you know psychology uh, has its developments where they try and like pinpoint ways to stop people from becoming homicidal maniacs. Yeah. Crazy. It's, that's kind of the thing. I, I kind of hate the whole idea of just being like, you know, I think a lot of people else. take comfort in it because it's so much easier to think that these yeah. people have something that makes them, dramatically 
different in terms yeah. of how their brains are made up. And maybe they maybe they do. Like maybe in 15 years' time, science will have advanced far enough for us to be like, oh, yeah, there's actually this like gland in your brain and if you're born and the gland's fucked, then you'll be fucked. Like, you, do you know what I mean? Like maybe science yeah. will advance one day and we'll find out that it is just something in your chemical makeup, blah, 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 blah. But I think people want to take comfort in being like, no, there's something – twisted in you as a person like it's like the nature versus nurture yeah no debate. but i i think that it's just it's not like really fair to sort of write it off as that because there's just so much that goes into it you know like we have so many cases where we have like a seemingly normal person just go through through significant trauma whether it be like a uh, history of war drugs um, yeah arson bad wedding all these things that sort of build up to like a significant change in psychology. Mm. It's not just a matter of like, I, I don't know, maybe you're right. Maybe there is like a, in the, in a couple of years, we'll find something in the, there's like some sort of genetic makeup that makes a person act a certain way. Yeah. Sure there is, but I think it's sort of a mixture of different things, you know, like who you are, the yeah. personality you develop from your parents, the way you're raised, the people you grow up around, like, you know, just the kids you grow up in the neighborhood around you can can shape you into the person that you want you're gonna be. Hundred mm, percent. I think it all just sort of comes down to trauma and how you're raised, and you know, and that's why these cases are interesting because you get to look at these people's lives and go, "Fuck, mm. that's a, a significant moment right there that tells you so much of what you need to know." Yeah, and I think also people forget that. Like, people react very differently to trauma. Yeah, like totally. Like, what one person can just take on the chin and move on from, another person will absolutely fall apart the seams and will not be able to handle it. Yeah. Um, which I think explains why, you know, we've all had someone that we know pass away and not everyone becomes a psychotic serial killer. Yeah. But, um... I think it depends on the person like that event can like truly fundamentally break something in them. Yeah. And again, we're not trying to justify the actions, but it no. is interesting to kind of explore why these people do what we'll they try do. Try and find the answers as to what happened. Like why did this happen rather mm. than saying this happened? That's bad. Like let's figure out like why it happened. Yeah. That's that's the inter that's one of the interesting parts of the story. Yeah, I agree. Um, but anyway, I that agree. is the end of our cases. Um, if you are just here for our cases and just the general facts and what happened, then we hope you enjoyed the show. Please give us a nice rating and we'll see you guys next week. If you like to hear us fluff on a bit and talk, talk about shit. stuff, uh, welcome to the, the cool kids section of the podcast. Yeah, I'm... Um I'm multitasking and I'm also... Yeah, what are you doing? I'm looking at sheet sets. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Nice. <laughs> I want to buy... And I don't like our sheets. Okay, that's fine. So I'm looking at... Uh, that's why I, l I love being a woman because I can do two things at once. I can I can yeah. do this and talk on the show and browse sheets. I can time. barely drink and think something at the You're, same time. You are one of the worst multitaskers. I like, am very bad if at you, you focus solely on like you cannot stray... Yeah. Your focus. And I will admit, I can't type and talk at the same time. Like if I'm texting a, a text message, I can't also properly 
tune into a conversation. Right. Like I will give myself that. I'm not good at that, which yeah. is why like if you're trying to talk to me and I'm texting, I just have to be like, just hang on, just yeah, let me just finish up, this text and then you'll second. have my full attention. Because otherwise I'll just – because I might not be good at multitasking, but I don't know. I'm very good at subconsciously responding, yep. Yeah, you yeah. are. You, you In can the play right it off places. Really well. Yeah. And then I'll be like, I'm sorry, I actually yeah. wasn't listening to a word you said. Can you repeat that? I feel like I'm okay with it when I'm like doing something like cooking or making a cocktail. Something that I can sort of do yeah. relatively autonomously. But like, yeah, when it when it's something that takes a lot of concentration, like, I don't know, I'm driving through like a rainstorm in a highway. And I'm like, oh, fuck, okay. Yeah. I'm really concentrate on this. I will not be able to have any resemblance of a conversation. My thing is, and I've been told apparently this is like an an autistic trait, which I'm like, no, I mean, it makes sense. My yeah. mom has autism. So, you know, um, is that if there's like, I cannot focus, like if I'm trying to park a car and I'm really concentrating, the music needs to be down. Everyone oh, yeah. needs to shut up. Yeah. I cannot, fo- like if there's noise, can't focus. That's kind of the interesting thing about like autism and the spectrum is like you sort of look at these things and you're like, well, that's a fairly common thing. Yeah. You know I mean? Like the spectrum like, is so vast. It's like apparently super common, but then I say that it happens to me and people are like, oh, that's an autism thing. I'm yeah. Like, but it's like, I mean, is, is it? it? Is, or it? is it just like a like, human brain because thing? Because like, are you... You're, you're basically what you're saying and what you count as like an autism thing is like including like 80% of the population. Mm. Like, so does it mean like we're all on the spectrum, like somewhat, we just have less of it versus people that have a significant amount of it. Like I find that kind of weird when people are like, that's an autism thing. It's like, I mean, really? Yeah. It's like a really benign is personality it? thing that you just mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> is it really an autism thing? Is it really an, like, I don't know. I'm not a fucking specialist maybe it is i don't know who knows um i do know that uh self-diagnosing yourself with like autism and things like that is like not a very good thing yeah um people do not like that so if you are someone who does that probably don't because i don't know i haven't done it i don't know anyone who has done it but i know people who don't who are on the spectrum that do not Mm. like people who do that um so if you do think you have autism or you have some sort of uh, social uh, thing in your life, then get diagnosed. Yeah, go see. I, I mean, I yeah. should take my own advice and go see a doctor. But you should definitely see a doctor and <laughs> just figure your shit out, son. Yeah, we'll talk about that another day. Yeah. Um, yeah, if you have anything that you... I mean, this kind of turned from a true crime podcast into a self-help self-help. I feel like it's always been partially that way. It kind of has, hasn't it? It's it's like, this is like a true crime podcast. And then once that's sort of done, it's like the chores done. And then like the, by the way, guys, fucking drink water. Look after yourself. Yeah, Take care of your friends. Yeah. I'm really annoyed at the IKEA website right now because when you click on a certain sheet set, it says there's plus seven color choices and then you go into it and it's a lie. That's incorrect. And there's only three color choices. And I'm like, well... It's okay. I found one in the color I wanted. It's fine. Yeah. Do, do you, how many liters of water do you need to drink a day? Is it like three? Yeah, I think like two or three. I don't, I don't know. I definitely don't drink enough water. Yeah. And then there's like a, if you drink too much, it's a bad thing. 
Yeah, I think like seven liters and you can like literally, dr- you drown your organs right. and your organs are like, no. But it, there's like a thing too, too where it's like once you get past three, it's like, if you get to like four, if you get past three, it's like you're just pissing out all your nutrients and shit. It's like, who decided that number was the number? Don't know. You know what I mean? Has it got to do like how much liquid, how many liters of liquid is in your body as as a whole? How much of, and what are we like eighty percent water? So well, maybe I don't know. Like I, I, four I don't, liters is because I don't know like how you drinking too much water flushes out all the nutrients in your body. I don't I don't understand how that how that would work because like you you're just you're putting water into your body because your body needs water. Yeah, I don't know. You know what I mean? You, you know, you're too much. You, your magnesium's you gone. Your, your bones have no calcium. <laughs> like, what? Oh, and you're dead. Yeah, and you're dead. Ah, <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. Sorry. I want, I want to know if the drowning thing's real. If you can legitimately drown yourself and drink. Yeah, it's water. um, it's called hydro hydropaxia or something like really? that. Really? That's fascinating. Let me see if I can Google it. By the way, if you're listening to this right now and you've gotten to this stage uh, and you know all about the subject, um, send us all of your citations on social media. Drinking you don't have to. too much water. You really don't have to. Um, oh, gosh. It's called hypontremia. Hypontremia? Hypontremia. H-Y... P-O-N-A-T-R-E-M-I-A. Yeah, okay. Hiponatremia. Hip, no, Hiponatremia. Hiponatremia. I said a hip, hip, <laughs> hip, hip, hip. Wow. Anyway, just that's, call it water poisoning. That's, that's, um, that's fascinating. Yeah, so you basically just drown your organs yeah. with too much. Okay. So it happens, okay, so what, it happens when your body takes in or holds on to more fluid than your kidneys can oh, flush out. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense then. Yeah. So you're putting it all in your water and your kidney's going, cool, water, process. Yeah. Piss it out. There's and then too much. It's like too much and it all gets like backed up. Yeah, right. And can't get processed. So the rest of your organs just like drown in wow. water. Crazy. Fascinating. Aren't the kidneys a, a fascinating organ? Honestly, I find the human body just in general yeah, crazy. endlessly fascinating. Do you know what's you know what's that fucked me up the other day that I, I read? What? Your brain knows exactly where your organs are, but it won't tell you. What do you mean? It, it, your brain knows where they are because it's connected by nerves. Yeah. And, and sends signals down to all your organs and, and knows exactly where they are. But you can't like feel them. But you don't know where they are. Yeah, that's kind of weird. You actually you can't you want you can't go. Oh, it's right there. The thing that, do you know, and I have a feeling we've talked about this in the show before when you covered Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah. The thing that is wildly, wildly bizarre is that your brain itself has no nerve endings. Yeah. So you could theoretically be poked in the brain. And you would not feel it. feel it. Yeah. Wild. That's why so many times, like, they put the little skull thing so you can't move your head, like, at all. But so many times when they do, like, brain surgery, you can be awake. Yeah. Because once they've numbed the skin and the skull area to get the thing out, they... It's crazy. There's, like... And there's, like... 
where they're where they're actually doing brain surgery to people and they're like talking to them yeah to see like the stimulations of their brain wild crazy which it kind of makes sense i guess like why would you feel something in where all your central nerves are all but going I just towards think it's kind of like a really big oversight like the brain is arguably the most important thing i guess aside from the heart yeah i guess yeah and your body was like, no, nah, we don't need to know if that's getting but, but stabbed. Does like, do your other organs have nerve endings? Yeah. Like if, if I were to cut you open and stab you in the kidney, it would hurt like right. a bitch. But your brain, I could has nothing. crack your skull open you and jam a butter knife in your that's brain. That's fucking And crazy. you wouldn't feel it. Like you'd be dead, but yeah. you wouldn't feel it. That's Maybe nuts. Wouldn't. Yeah. It's wild. Like, yeah, it blows my mind. I and wonder, it just seems like such a big oversight. When you see, like, super, like a like a superhero movie or, like, a cartoon or whatever and someone has, like, just no nerve feelings, like, the guy yeah. can't feel pain, I wonder, like, how fucking goated you would be if you just couldn't feel any pain. Like, if I you're think, a UFC fighter or something, you just don't feel any pain. Well, the thing is, is that pain is so closely... Like, I think... People think pain and they think, I punch you in the arm and your arm hurts. Yeah, no, but it's like Pain signals. is also sickness. It's also yeah. when you're hungry, like hunger pains. Yeah. Like you forget to eat because you don't feel hungry. Like you forget to drink water because you don't get a headache. Like. Yeah. Like, it, yeah, it's a, if you could manage to stay alive to be a UFC fighter, it would you. I guess you'd be true. I didn't, didn't even really think about that. You would have to have like constant reminders to be like, oh, I got to drink, I got to eat. Well, I think the people that do have it. I mean, I've only really seen it in like TV shows, but they have to like take their temperature like every Shit. hour to make sure that they're like not overheating and. Jeez, yeah, that's fucked. That's like this. diabetes two point Yeah, which is crazy. Severe. Crazy. Um, what else? Is there anything that we need to update people on? Like, how's your, how's the smut going? I've moved on. I've actually, um, on from snot. I think I, I think it was a bit of a phase mm -hmm. and I, I think maybe I'm past it for, for okay. now. Anyway, I'm right. reading the throne of glass series by Sarah J Maas. So I'm on okay. the fourth book. I'm actually nearly at the end of the fourth book and I got right to the, um, penultimate ending when I had to stop to record this episode. So that's how you know that I love you guys yes. and I love doing this show because I've been left on about three different cliffhangers with three different characters and I'm slowly dying inside. We're also um, doing this podcast episode on the couch. Which is where we started. Yeah, we're going back to our roots. We tried doing it on the desks last week and it just mm. didn't work. Yeah, it's just it's just a bit not very comfortable. Um, the chairs kind of creak. It's this this way we can kind of get really relaxed. I feel like it's been a good episode too because we've been relaxed. Yeah, I'm so comfortable right you know now. What I mean, yeah. Which it's, is wild because last week I was so uncomfortable. I had to literally yeah. sit on the floor. It's like it's like this and the bed, are like the, the yeah. best ways to do it. Um, and if you don't know what we're talking about, you should listen to all of our podcast episodes because why haven't you already? Why did we start? Was it because I was, was I sick? So I think 
Yeah, you might have been sick or maybe you just could not be fucked to like record outside of the bed. So I think we just like spur of the moment, like let's just attach the mics to the bed frame and record in bed. And we did it like twice and it was amazing yeah. and then we stopped doing it. it but also cover. I do feel like the like bedroom, you need to keep it as like an area of relaxation so you sleep because yeah. otherwise yeah. you can't like switch off. It was fun though. It was, yeah. but I do quite like it being on the couch. Yeah, totally. The couch is just, a, it, we have a very comfy couch. It is very comfy. It's like a cloud. Yeah, it's a good little thing. We just need to sort of, I guess, tweak a few things and figure it out, but I, I quite like it. Yeah, we're getting there. Yeah. We've tried, we have recorded the show in a different place every, every episode, week yeah. since we started back yeah. though. So, so maybe next year, next week we'll do somewhere we'll else We'll do it outside. Well. We'll, we'll, we'll take to the street. Yeah. You'll hear all the, all the planes and, I mean, there's not really that many noises here. Yeah. Noise. And people, passers-by will get very concerned. Yeah. We'll At least you won't be, hear the cats fucking... They were good. Crackhead. They like went for a little run at the start. Yeah. They've been pretty good. No, they've been all right. Yeah. We had, um, Pi was behind us on the couch because he saw we were on the couch and he was very interested. Um, he just, he just sort of poked his head around and was like, what the fuck is going on here? He's not, yeah, I don't know where he is now. Has he managed to, we, he's unfortunately learned oh, how yeah. to open the doors. <laughs> so we don't have fly screens on our sliding doors at our new place, uh, which means you either can't have like fresh air coming in or you just have it open like, you know, a couple of fingers mm. width to let some fresh air in. Pi has learnt how to like stick his little head and paw in the gap to open it wide enough so he can escape outside. Um, so we're going to have to work fun. out how to get around that. Yeah. I was like, speak of the devil, there he freaking is. Freaking out because I couldn't find him yesterday, and I and saw he was the just door on the was open. But it was dark as well. Yeah. That's what it, he was just out there on his own in pitch black. Like, Such buddy, what are you doing? Man. Random. He's like, he's like the least naughtiest naughty cat. Like, he's, oh, he he's pretty naughty. But he's th he's not though. He's, he, he is. He goes outside when he's not supposed yeah, but to. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, he, but he but he does that so sparingly. He steals the other cat's food literally every day. I know, but he's just such a lovable little oh, cat, Oh, he's though. just your favourite. No, he's not my favourite. He he's definitely is. not my favourite. He Oh, he's definitely. Definitely my favourite. He's just, he's right there, Tama. Yeah, but he can't understand English. He can, they can. They can definitely yeah. understand. Um, well. Well. Shall we yes. wrap this bad boy up? Yeah, let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. Wrap it up in paper, cut it in half, serve it to the customer. And um, the yeah. code word for this week is baby spinach and avocado. Baby spinach and avocado. And um, if you're making a sandwich with baby spinach and avocado, oh, send us one. Send us a photo, or send us yes, yeah, send, send us, us a sandwich. A sandwich. Yeah. Send us a whole sandwich. Um, if you're from America, ship it. Uh, you don't have express. To send us a sandwich. I mean, oh yeah, okay, sure. You don't have to. How are they going to ship? It'll be so moldy. Yeah, but it's a thought that counts. It's. I don't want a moldy sandwich from anyone. Speak I love you all, but yourself. I don't want a moldy sandwich. Anyway, the code word is baby spinach and avocado. Yes. Please, if you haven't already, we would love it if you would leave us a review. It does genuinely help us get boosted in the charts mm -hmm. and all that jazz. Share with your friends, your mum, your auntie. Your dog. Your cousins, your cute little schnauzer dog. Your mailman. Your mailman. Your he neighbor. might like true crime. You yeah. don't know that. You never know. He might. 
Yeah, he might like it. He might be a fan or he might be a serial killer. Yeah, maybe don't talk to him just in case. Actually, yeah, don't. Yeah. Don't maybe know who, you, who you're suggesting it to. Don't, no soliciting strangers. We don't encourage that. Yeah. Anyway, code word is baby spinach and avocado and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.